Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Craig Powell. I'm also one of the elders at Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Today we're turning our attention to, initially, some of the plots to kill Jesus. We find it in John chapter 11, verses 45 through 54. Again, that's John 11, 45 through 54. Jacob, would you mind reading those, please? Yeah. It says, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told him the things which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council meeting, and they were saying, What are we doing in regard to the fact that this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, all the people will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take over both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to him, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor are you taking into account that it is in your best interest that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish instead. Now he did not say this on his own, but as he was the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not only for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on they planned together to kill him. Therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. You know, we can readily see two immediate results of the raising of Lazarus. First, many who witnessed it came to believe on Jesus. Secondly, some of those who saw it ran to the Pharisees and told them all that had happened. And this resulted in a deepening hatred of Jesus in the hearts of the rulers and an even stronger determination to put him to death. The Sanhedrin came together to discuss the situation. And I like what R.C. Foster wrote in the Gospel Studies about this. He says, They proclaim a crisis in the life of the nation. The growing excitement over Jesus' miracles makes imminent an outbreak against Rome which would bring ultimate disaster on the nation. This was a real peril in the light of the numbers and power of the zealot party. Jesus continually changed location or methods to prevent the zealots from capturing his movement. The hypocrisy of the Sanhedrin is apparent, however, in their frank admission that Jesus is actually working miracles. The immediate conclusion is that he speaks the message of God and they are obligated to obey. Any sort of political crisis is insignificant compared with obedience to the voice from heaven. The real folly of their objection is seen when it is actually presented before Pilate, Jesus, King of the Jews. He tore the cover from their hypocritical claim that Jesus was a rival of Caesar. Their wicked determination not to be believed and repent was the real ground of their objection. Caiaphas, 
the high priest, rebuked them for their hesitancy and urged immediate action, saying that the life of the nation was at stake. It was better that one man die for the sake of the nation rather than for the nation to perish. You know, this, uh, this event happens at Bethany, which, uh, you know, the Bible tells us and the good map would also tell us it's only about two miles from Jerusalem. And what happens uh, in the raising of Lazarus gets attention from the Jewish leaders. And uh, many of them had gathered and they would get word as uh, verse uh, 46 tells us some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Can you imagine being so, I guess, aligned with the world that you would ignore this most astonishing miracle of the power over death that Jesus had? Ignore that and run to tell the Pharisees. Uh, you know, um, I guess we should not be surprised when people aren't convinced in the gospel and walk away when somebody could see a miracle in person and turn and walk away. But um, let's not forget, many believed in, uh, in verse 45. Uh, many had believed in him. Um, but the miracle in so public a fashion, uh, so boldly done, as, uh, as Jesus had decided to return to Judea, we, we discussed in previous episode, that uh, there was, this was inevitable, that it was going to draw the ire and criticism of the Jews but also to what it was done for was to bolster the faith of many. It's just astonishing in the midst of a miracle that was from God that there would be a council formed and plans made and his death plotted. Um, and we didn't quite go this far, but verse 57 tells us they gave a command that anyone who knew where Jesus was, they were to report it. They were not operating in secrecy, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, uh, about this. Uh, before, it, some of it was a, a little more uh, under the radar, but now they're casting a wide net uh, that they sought to kill him on occasion before, but now they're at a fevered pitch and, uh, and looking for Jesus, asking for anyone that knows where he was to report it. Yeah, I, the point that, that you made there about um, them, you know, the blindness, the arrogance, and seeing the... Lazarus being raised from the dead, and it's you know we gotta kill this this man, the one that's done this being Jesus. Um, we just talked about the rich man and Lazarus um, with the the parable, um, as as I believe it to be. And how at the end of that parable, um, it it talked about that you know if they're not gonna listen to Moses or the prophets, they're not gonna listen to one that rises from the dead. Here we have an, an example of that. If you know someone has risen from the dead, was dead for four days, being Lazarus. And this, you know, instance that I just, I cannot imagine what that must have been like to be watching this event. Certainly imagining it and, and picturing it as we read it is just amazing in and of itself. But they see this and this awesome miracle and go, we need to put this man to death. Um, and we can, we certainly would have been in the same boat, not saying that we are better off than they were, but... Just an amazing thing here. And then in verse 54, that um, th this affected what Jesus was able to do. Um, it certainly must have been um, a frustration in not being able to walk publicly among the Jews. Um, and there was a, the hindrance there. Um, but Jesus continues 
to work, continues to uh, teach and um, do everything perfectly as he always has done. Well, the Passover was at hand, and it led many of the Jews to speculate about Jesus. Would he show himself at the feast or not? Meanwhile, the chief priests and the Pharisees let it be known that those who knew where Jesus was should tell them so that they might take him. Maybe at this time it would be a good idea to give a little information about the high priest because he's going to play a very big role in the immediate future. The high priest uh, held the position for life according to Jewish law. But let us remember they were under Roman subjection at this particular time. And the Romans interfered. And they would appoint whoever they wanted. Sometimes they permitted a priest to serve as high priest for one year and sometimes for a longer period. For instance, Annas ruled from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15. He was deposed by Gratus, who kept his influence, and several of his sons held office. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, was appointed in A.D. 18 and held the office until A.D. 36, during the reign of Pontius Pilate. And it has been suggested with a high degree of policy or probability that the phrase the high priest that year means that fateful year, the year of the Lord's death. It's also been argued that it means the year when the final atoning sacrifice was offered, the death of Jesus in the office of high priest was no longer necessary. Which takes us to the next event that we need to talk about. And it it occurs in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And we're going to be seeing here the healing of ten lepers. As the passage says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said to him, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Jesus was in Ephraim, a city in the north of Judea, about five miles northeast of Bethel. Verse 11 is interesting because it tells of a journey to Jerusalem, but mentions Samaria before Galilee. If I have correctly located Ephraim, then Jesus was making a northward swing along the borders of Samaria and lower Galilee into Perea. That's why I'm placing this account of Luke here in this chronology. As Jesus was entering into a certain village, 
he was met by ten lepers. That's, that's really interesting because the Old Testament law excluded lepers from general society and compelled them to warn all who ventured near that they were lepers. Naturally, those who suffered the same affliction would band together. We notice that they stood afar off. This was in compliance with the law. The law in Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 and 46 tells us, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean, he shall dwell alone, without the camp shall his habitation be. Instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The Lord's response to them was in exact accordance with the law. Go, show yourselves unto the priest. Yeah, leprosy, what what a burden, as as you just said there. And um, to have to you know, stay outside of the city and then be constantly telling people as they come by, it would make you just want to go and hide somewhere, right? To completely remove yourself from society. But you couldn't because you had to. You had to eat. Many of them just, you know, begged and, and things because they, they may not be able to hold a, a job with other people. Um, what an incredible burden. Um, this This story is one that, that resonates well with everyone, but but I'll say I'll speak for myself because I have failed God over and over again in this regard. I've prayed for something many times, and I've been delivered, or a family member has been delivered from a disease or a difficult circumstance. I celebrated and rejoiced, and perhaps it was hours later or even days later, and I will freely say it hits me like a ton of bricks. I never had gone back to God and said thank you up to that point. Then my prayer turns into an apology and praise to our God uh, for his mercy and his grace and and absolutely his his patience and his goodness uh, upon me and others. How many times do we fail to go back and thank the one who helps us so much? Um, It's a a lesson uh, that we should learn and one that, that Jesus commends the one for. Uh, I want to make a a comment about verse 19, that your faith has made you well. And we know that miracles were, uh, as we would say, faith-producing and not um, faith-dependent for people. So how do we reconcile this statement? Is it a, a spiritual wellness that Jesus is talking about? Were the other nine stricken again with leprosy because they didn't come back? Um, there's nothing in the scripture to indicate that. I believe the statement is an indication that the man's soul is spiritually well. His thankfulness showed his faith in Jesus. And the other nine may have been healed physically, but they are not necessarily spiritually well as this man was. Yeah, I love that, the point of the thankfulness. Um, and I'm right in that same boat of asking for things from God and, and being granted those things and then um, forgetting or maybe even never thanking him um, and, and the need to come back and to do that. Um, th- this example of this Samaritan here is, is such an important one to heed, to always be thankful 
for what God has given us. Certainly in the context of Samaritan here with um, being healed of leprosy, for us to be thankful um, over the requests that God has granted us, um, things that we may have asked of him that we thought was best for us that he perhaps didn't answer in the way we wanted to, but it occurred in that way. Um, occurred another way that turned out to be better or many other ways that God has answered our prayers. Just being thankful to him that he allowed us even to wake up today. All these things, um, we could constantly be thanking him um, and, and should be on how we can um, praise him. It absolutely, we should absolutely go to him with our requests um, as the Bible teaches, but also to be thankful for what he has done for us um, in word and in deed in our lives. Okay, let's move on in our study, and we'll stay in Luke chapter 17 and read verses 20 through 37. It's the kingdom or the sermon concerning the time of the coming of the kingdom. Craig, would you mind reading those? Yes. Now, he, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the, the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you in in that night there will be two men in one bed the one will be taken the other will be left two women will be grinding together the one will be taken and the other left two men will be in the field the one who will be taken and the other left and they answered and said to him where lord so he said to them wherever the body is there the eagles will be gathered together jesus taught that the kingdom of god was nigh or it was at hand and he instructed his disciples to teach the same. The Pharisees now want the particulars. When will it come? Bear in mind that what they were anticipating was a physical kingdom ruled by an earthly king, one that would overthrow the shackles of Roman oppression. But our Lord's response indicated that it wasn't going to be what they expected. The approach of the kingdom could not be observed with the senses. It was a spiritual kingdom and could not be judged by outward signs, by political and military triumphs. It was not of such a nature that they could point to it and say, well, here it is, or, or, or there it is. No, the kingdom of God is within you. 
Now, as I understand it, the Greek, and I am no Greek scholar, but the Greek can be translated correctly in two ways, within you, in your hearts, or among you, in your midst. The first would indicate the entirely spiritual nature of the kingdom, while the second would indicate that the king of the kingdom was in their very midst now in the person of Jesus. I believe that its meaning is that it was an entirely spiritual kingdom, hence within you in your hearts. At this point, Jesus moved from the discussion of his kingdom to a discussion of his return. The question of the coming of the kingdom was very much on the minds of the Lord's disciples as well. We find numerous indications of this often in the Gospels. So, turning from the Pharisees, Jesus began to address his disciples. There, there are many people that will claim to say um, now that they know when Jesus is coming back. They'll um, say that it's been revealed to them, they know it's going to happen in this year or this day, or whatever it may be. And um, anybody who does that um, and, and says that is, is a flat-out liar. It is um, not true. Um, Matthew twenty-four thirty-six will say that, But the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Um, so certainly it's a, certainly something to, that ju- should jump out to us, that someone that says they know that, well, they're not. That's quite arrogant to put yourself on the same level as God the Father. And it's um, just simply not true in, in the knowing of that. Um, so I think always when people are s- saying things, to go back to the scripture and examine it too. Because um, in this instance, it's very easy to see that this claim that may be making of, oh, God is going to return on this day at this hour, whatever it may be. You look into the scripture and can see very clearly that they have no justification in saying that and are lying against God's truth. Um, this is an event that when the Lord returns is not going to be something that you'll miss. It's not going to be something that you'll have to catch on the news in a recap. This is going to be something we're all going to know that is happening and it um, 100% is going to happen one day whether it's in our physical lifetimes or not. Yeah, and uh it's these observations, you know, from the past that, that Jesus tells them about. It gives us the indication that it's going to be very sudden and that we are powerless at that moment to change our allegiance, that there's not going to be any opportunity to uh, to say, oh, you know, um, I've, I've, I repent of my sins now that I, I see the Lord coming. It's it, It'll be too sudden for that. Um, we'll, we'll be, you know, so to speak, locked into wherever our allegiance is at the time. I know that um, there's, there's debate about these verses, and is, is it about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, or is it about his second coming? Um, and frankly, I'm not sure if it matters uh, with the point that I believe Jesus is making. We can make application. When Jesus comes, uh, as Jacob said, it'll be obvious all will see him and and he will come quickly his coming will end every activity of our human existence if we're only tied to our human existence we'll be destroyed and that judgment will be disastrous if we're not prepared the point is for us to be prepared at all times i kind of think it's interesting that their response to what jesus had said was where lord and that's pretty indicative of the fact that they're still viewing things from a purely 
physical standpoint. In other words, where is this going to happen? That's what they wanted to know. And our Lord's reply, and I'm taking this from the New International Version, when, where there is, when there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Jesus took the opportunity to teach that judgment will not be confined to any one spot, but will be inflicted where sin is found. Just as surely as vultures gather around a lifeless body, so too will the Son of Man come to judge. That's going to have to do it for this particular episode. We appreciate so much each and every one of you who is listening, and we encourage you to come get in contact with us through the website, www.nkcofc.com. And there's things that you can do on the website and a lot of information, and we appreciate your listening. And until the next time, thanks for listening again.